What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton, and unfortunately, I am running solo tonight because Pad Zhang is feeling sick. But man, it has been a minute since we have been back on the mic. Happy New Year, everybody. The first State of the Nova Nation episode in 2022. I'll be recapping the first Villanova basketball game of 2022. It's been a minute since we saw a Villanova basketball game, so that was great. It's been a minute since we have been back on the mic. This is the first episode dropping, so a lot of really good stuff going on. Hope everybody had a safe and healthy holiday season. And man, uh, COVID, of course, Pat's not feeling too great. I had COVID over Christmas, so hopefully everybody is staying healthy. But we have a lot to get to, a lot to get to today. We wish Pat well. Bummer that he wasn't able to start off this year with this episode. But thanks for sticking with us through this holiday break. And then, of course, we'll be back on Thursday. We'll be back to our regular Tuesday, Thursday programming as of now. And just for a little bit of a preview of what we'll get into. In this episode, I'm going to recap Seton Hall. I will preview the Creighton game that will occur on Wednesday night, and we'll have a game recap of that on Thursday. Hopefully, Pat will be back for that one. We wish him well, of course. And then, as usual, we will wrap things up with a whip around the Big East. A lot of action over these last two weeks as we took a holiday break. So let's get right into it with Villanova's, as Pat called it, the heart palpitation game. On Saturday, Villanova came away with a 73 to 67 win on the road against Seton Hall. That win, as a result, pushed them up along with the win over Xavier back before Christmas up to the 19th ranked team in the country. I believe that makes them the highest ranked team in the Big East at this point. Seton Hall took a big fall because of their two losses this week. UConn hasn't played in a while. Providence, I believe, fell one or two. So Villanova's looking pretty good. The Kempom numbers are getting better as well. And as usual, I separated the Seton Hall game into some positives and some negatives. And I think even though Colin Gillespie, because of his performance in this game, earned the Big East player of the week, I really do believe that this was the Justin Moore game. He has been preaching since Big East media day, that first clip, maybe the first clip we ever showed we ever put on this pod about Justin Moore, about how important this summer was for him, bulking up physically, mentally taking on that leadership role and him refining and tuning his game so he could become the quote unquote killer that Villanova needed him to be. And I think that this is the first time since maybe honestly that Mount St. Mary's game, he was amazing. The Howard game, he was really good. This is the first time against really, really solid competition that Justin Moore has reached his potential. And you hear the broadcasters talk about it all the time, the potential this guy has. Jay Wright talks about it all the time. Sometimes we don't see it in the box score. And on Saturday, we really did. And if you just look at the numbers, he only had 13 points, but his shooting was incredibly efficient. He was perfect from the free throw line. His rebounding numbers were there. He did have six turnovers, and that was really, really apparent at the beginning of the game. But the reason why I had such a good feeling about this, about him after this game, was because of the way he stepped up in Gillespie's wake. And I would be so curious to hear if anybody remembers the last time that Colin Gillespie was in foul trouble. He fouled out of this game. But the fact that he had to 
sit out in the first half due to foul trouble. I genuinely don't remember the last time that happened. We know how much of a floor general Colin Gillespie is. This team is wildly different without him. And we saw a glimpse of that in the tournament last year, of course, when he went down without an injury. But even when he's on the bench for those two and a half minutes a game, every game, you don't see this Villanova team really hold its own. And I thought they did against Seton Hall and and Moore was the catalyst of that. And I literally, I was writing notes on my phone about this game and I wrote down the question, can Moore be the guy that can keep this team solid and refined even when Gillespie isn't on the floor? And he showed in those four, four and a half minutes that he can be. He was forcing defenses to make mistakes, forcing turnovers. At that point, he had done a better job keeping the ball in control on offense. He was facilitating. He had a couple of assists. He was passing the ball well. He was driving to the hoop. Again, I thought him and Gillespie did a great job of penetrating the paint and driving all the way to the basket, which is Pat and I have talked about it so much all season long, one of their greatest strengths and what elevates them from other guards in the conference. His shot looked really good against Seton Hall. It just finally felt like everything came together for Justin Moore. And maybe it was just me, but it had been a while since I felt that after a Justin Moore performance. So that was a huge positive. When you look at the box score, a couple of other big things that, that stand out to me. As I mentioned, Gillespie won Big East Player of the Week, 21 points, 6 for 12 from the floor, 8 three-point attempts, made four of them, so a really nice 50%, way above his normal shooting percentage in that way. Brandon Slater had 17 points, sneaky, a sneaky 17 points. But, man, Pat and I were going to do an extended segment here of New New Year's resolutions, and I had a feeling that Pat was going to bring up Brandon Slater in this one because I was if he wasn't going to because that Christmas wish was about Slater shooting more, and we're finally starting to see that again, and look how well this offense gels when Slater plays that well on offense. Those 17 points are much more of the – early season Slater than the past few games we've seen. And it has made such a difference. Samuels had a really good game, double-double. I'll get into him a little bit more. And then more finished with those 13 points. Dixon had a slow game on the offensive side, but he definitely held his own on defense against Alexis Yetna. So it's, it's funny because I guess when I talk about this game and when we look back on this win and yes, it did push Villanova up in the rankings and yes, it did push Seton Hall back. I actually had an interesting back and forth with Chris from the full 40 on Twitter. He responded to Seth Davis's poll that didn't move Seton Hall back very far. And the AP poll did move them back further than Davis did. But Chris asked, is that because they were losing their two big men? And I said, Honestly, it means more to me that Seton Hall hung around in this game. And I mean hung around as a compliment because they were down two of the best players on their team. They were down two of their biggest forwards. And even if those numbers don't fill up the stat sheet, it's the size that Seton Hall was missing down low. And that's why Villanova did such a good job penetrating and exploiting that weakness and also exploiting the fact that they only had eight players. So it's really hard to get any sort of flash down the stretch when you're that shorthanded so I do think it it honestly just kind of sucked going into this game knowing that Seton Hall wasn't at full strength and this wouldn't be the highly revered matchup that we could have thought it would be because they had lost they only had eight players due to COVID but hopefully when Nova 
faces them again. I believe it's on February 12th. They'll be at full strength. And honestly, at that point, hopefully college basketball in the world is in a much better space and games aren't being postponed. So you immediately have to start with that because this game would have been different if Seton Hall did have those did have their big men, but a win's a win and Villanova did what it needed to do. And it exploited the weaknesses that Seton Hall had. And that is exactly what a caliber team like Villanova should have done. So that being said, I thought Alexis Yetna was phenomenal in this game and he has gotten many more minutes due to the absence of Ike Obiagu, who is just an insane shot blocker. If anyone remembers him from the past few years and also Tyree Samuel, their second forward that's been missing. He finished with 10 points. He fouled out pretty early because he was tasked with everybody down low, Samuel Slater and Dixon, and he just couldn't handle that. But he is so good down low, and it seems like he has so much chemistry with Roden and Kale and even Harris and Aiken. These guys seem to play together really, really well despite having all those personnel issues and I don't think that's something that should be glazed over I think it's really impressive again that they're able to hang in these games against a really good Villanova team and then earlier last week a really good Providence team they lost by single digits both time that's that's really impressive for Seton Hall and it might say something about Villanova which I'll get into in a little bit but because of that size issue Villanova just handedly won the rebounding battle and that goes back into the narrative that Pat and I have talked about a lot, which is that in almost every single one of their wins, Villanova has a sizable advantage on the in the in the rebounding period in the rebounding battle period, excuse me, and then also on the offensive glass, Villanova out rebounded offensively Seton Hall on Saturday as well. Uh, credit to get to Dixon, he did a really good job. I thought Samuels had a phenomenal defensive day in general, and then also rebounding, he had some just insane box outs against really physical Seton Hall players, which is always good to watch. Again, Seton Hall's big men were out, but it's a good sign for Villanova. They had gone out rebounded against Creighton. As we all remember, they did a good job against Xavier. So hopefully that momentum continues to look upwards. And I think I'll get into some of the negatives now as we, as we move along here. It definitely was a rusty shooting night. I mean, these numbers, you're not going to be blown away by them. They shot 42% from the floor and 30% from three. They only scored 73 points. But if you'll remember, Seton Hall, I mean, going into this game, they were ranked 15th in the country for a reason. They'd had some serious opponents. They completely obliterated Michigan early in the season, which was their win that really got them on the map. And you could argue that Michigan isn't the team that, Everyone thought they were going to be, but no matter. That's not the point in this situation. They are, they, Villanova was able to find ways to get it done, and it just seems like Pat and I aired so many grievances about how this team was potentially becoming one-dimensional with that three-point shot. Everybody hopefully has read Brendan Riley's article on VU Hoops about whether Villanova is too reliant on the three, and it seems like since we've had that discussion, they've become so much more two-dimensional. And maybe that's because... Gillespie shooting better and that allows the other scorers to find ways to get creative because they know that they can rely on Colin to get a bucket maybe see maybe Justin Moore has more flexibility because of that maybe it's because Brian Antoine's back and he's that spark plug off the bench that they needed maybe it's because Caleb Daniels is playing better maybe it's because Jordan Longino is getting more minutes and these guys are less tired you could go on and on but the bottom line is 
Villanova is so much more two-dimensional and even three-dimensional than they used to be because they have more ways to shoot the basketball. Pat found a nice stat. They shot 50% from two against Xavier, which was real. I'm sorry. They shot 62% against Xavier from the floor from two, which was an incredible number. They shot 50% from two against Seton Hall, which is a sizable difference, but still they're making half the shots they take from two point range. And that is exactly the confidence that this team needs to know that they don't have to rely on a three every single possession. They don't have to take the first look they get because they can be confident in either their guards to drive to the basket or for the bigger guys like Slater, like Samuels, like Dixon to get something done down low. And I thought they did a great job of that against Seton Hall. The turnovers were very concerning. We've also brought this up before. Villanova is known for how well it takes care of the ball. They turned the ball over 17 times against Seton Hall. And some of those turnovers were just mind boggling. And I, I let off the pod with talking about how good Justin Moore was on offense. There were times when he just could not take care of the ball. And it was really frustrating to watch, but they were able to rein it in. They did much better in the second half. Of course, they let a nine-point lead slip away in the last couple minutes of this game, which I, of course, will talk about in a second, but I'm not sure exactly where that turnover, maybe it's just the jitters at the beginning of the game. This being said, and I actually meant to mention this with the rusty shooting too, it was Villanova's first game since December 22nd. They didn't play in that Temple game. It was postponed due to COVID issues within the Temple program. They go on the road also at Seton Hall, which is not a friendly environment at all. Again, Seton Hall is just as intimidating, intimidating even without Samuel and Obiagu. So I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, but 17 is just a brutal number. Every single starter besides Samuel had more than one turnover, and you just don't see that too often. So that is something that needs to be taken under control. And then as I move to the bench too, and maybe this is a reason for it. Caleb Daniels didn't play and Demir Cosby Roundtree didn't play. So all the guys that did play were tasked with touching the ball a lot more than they might be used to. And of course, I don't mean the the starters, but the 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 Moors maybe felt like he needed to take more on. And he just was seemed like he had butterfingers at some point, which was frustrating to watch. But they did get that under control. Pat and I mentioned it. Demir Cosby Roundtree, you'd have to think with the layoff that his legs just weren't under him, that conditioning continues to need to evolve, which makes sense. And then Caleb Daniels did contract COVID, but he was asymptomatic. So he obviously wasn't out there on the court without Caleb though. We saw a lot more of Ryan Antoine and a lot more of Jordan Longino, which I know the people love. Ryan Antoine continues to look really good. I'm, I'm really bummed to Pat couldn't be here for this one because I think he deserves his own section. Again, it's not lighting up the stat sheet. He was 16 minutes. He was one for five. All of his five shot attempts were from beyond the arc. He did make all four of his three free throws, though. He had four rebounds, only one turnover, a block, which was just insane, and seven points. So my biggest takeaway is that Brian Antoine looks so much more comfortable than I have ever seen him he put up some shots in the early minutes of this game that I don't think he's taking in his college career he is so much more comfortable in the catch and shoot mindset it used to be 
so much more him immediately pump faking and then trying to find another open man, not being confident enough in his own abilities. Maybe the injuries just never let him get into a groove. Yes, the injuries prevented him from getting into a groove early this season, but 16 minutes of this type of Brian Antoine, especially if more of those shots can fall, that's a game changer for this team. And of course, we're back. I I think we're going to see, which is honestly much more than I would have expected, especially the way that Jay Wright played him in the non-conference schedule with the absolute gauntlet that that was. Those six minutes for Jordan Longino were really serious. Of course, he got his two steals. That's just about the only number that's going to still show up on the stat sheet. But for some, for me, it might be the most important number, and I can get behind that. He just springs such a defensive intensity that really isn't replicated by anybody else on this roster. I think, hands down, Brennan Slater is the best defensive player on Villanova. But the way that Longino gets up in the faces of his defenders, the way he makes them so nervous with the ball, he just brings so much energy and electricity. And that's why he doesn't need to score 10 points. He doesn't need to play 15 minutes. He can play five to seven minutes and truly allow these guys to sit on the bench. It's not going to be, I was going to say game changing, but I actually think that's too much. They won't be game changing minutes but it's maybe giving Colin Gillespie the fresh legs that he needs to close out a game and hit a shot when it really matters. Maybe it's forcing that one steal that leads to a bucket on the other end for Villanova. And that's so important. And of course, all of this is just practice for him in the future and how he's going to develop in this program, like everybody else around him did. So I was really happy with that. The bench depth in general looked really good against Seton Hall. And again, Daniels and Cosby Roundtree didn't even play. I'll say it again. Seton Hall was shorthanded, but this team looked really, really good, and nobody played insane minutes. Justin Moore was the leading minute guy with 36, and they have a pretty long layoff when they had a long layoff before that. So you would assume that fresh legs were in going into it. So I have two kind of storyline slash narratives to look into as we look further. And actually, before I even get into that, I do want to give props to Bryce Aiken because, oh my God, definitely the MVP of the day for Seton Hall, 22 points off the bench, 31 minutes. He had 12 free throw attempts, made 10 of them. This guy, Bill Raftery was phenomenal, I thought, in this game, and we needed a Bill Raftery game for so long. He just has that gritty love for basketball that is so hard to replicate. I, Aiken was so good. I wish he's been in the Big East for longer because he is going to make a serious impact on Seton Hall in the one year that he will be with this program. He elevates them to an entire new, entirely new level. I would have liked to see more from Kaderi Richmond, that high-impact transfer that we had talked about when we did our Big East season preview, and John Fanta was actually on that episode, so make sure to check that out if you haven't already. One for nine shooting night, tough, happens sometimes, but he definitely didn't make as much of an impact as I was expecting. Of course, this team runs through Jared Roden. He was on the preseason All-Big East first team. I didn't think he played particularly, particularly well. I thought Slater did really well with him as his defensive assignment, and that is not an easy one. So the fact that him and Miles Kale also in Richmond all had bad nights is much more of an ode to Villanova's defense that continues to improve. One thing that might not be improving. 
again, super bummed that, that Pat couldn't be here, but now I guess, I guess, I guess I open it up to the listeners and I'd love to hear tweet at me. Let me know what you think at Emma underscore Houghton nine. Does this game count as a, another failed closing for Villanova? They had a nine point lead with just over seven minutes left in this game. And of course it ended up a six point win 73 to 67. But as I mentioned at the beginning, Pat called it the heart palpitation game. This game was nowhere near done in the last few minutes of this game. So the first thing that crossed my mind and it's a narrative we brought up, Villanova had a closing problem for a large portion of this year and they might still. And I just wonder if, even though this game ended up in a win, there just seems to be, there's something happened in the last eight minutes in these guys' minds where shots don't fall and teams get hot at the right time. So I would honestly be okay with giving Seton Hall credit. Jared Roden stepped up. Bryce Aiken hit some insane shots. Jameer Harris had 12 points all on threes. So I'm fine with saying Seton Hall did a really good job of staying in this game, but you also would have liked Villanova to handle Seton Hall a little better, missing two of their best players. You would have liked Villanova coming off of however many days rest they had to be fresh enough to play the full 40 minutes at a really high level and not let this game get close. We're still waiting for that easy win in the big East and we might not get it. The big, the big East might be hard enough where that might happen. And funnily enough, honestly, Xavier was that easy win. It really just, it didn't get close and it didn't get close too much in the last few minutes of that second half, which is not what I would have expected at all. Maybe against the DePauls, maybe the Butlers, maybe the Georgetowns, of course. But you would like to see Villanova handle a high caliber opponent. And I think that would just change the narrative a little bit about this team because you see those four losses and you think, oh, wow, this is not Jay Wright's wildcast. Yes, those losses come against three of the best teams in the country, but you also want them to just have a stamping win. And this definitely wasn't one of those type of games. So I'll just put it out there. They did have a nine-point lead, dropped to really close. They ended up winning by six. I will let you decide, and we'll see after the Creighton game, of course, the rematch game, if Villanova can get one of those easy wins that I was just talking about. And then the last point that I'll say about this Seton Hall game, even though it was on the road, This game just proved to me, and honestly, I guess this is more so the week or so that Pat and I missed recording, home court advantage matters. That win over Xavier was such a needle mover for Villanova's season, and I truly mean that. Things were in a dark place after Baylor and Creighton. Going home, you just see that glimmer of hope, and then, of course, talk about getting your confidence back to go on the road at Prudential Center, a a place that has just plagued you for so long and to get a really a really quality win over a really quality team with some high high caliber players does a lot for Villanova and now they get to to welcome Cray into the fin where hopefully the tides will be much different than they were in Nebraska a few weeks ago so that'll wrap up the Seton Hall section overall took me a minute to be happy about this game but watching it back Moore played really well. 
Samuels played really well. I didn't give him too much of a section here. I thought he was just incredible on defense. And Colin Gillespie was the guy that Villanova's offense needs him to be. So speaking of the version of players that Villanova needs. On Wednesday, 8.30 p.m., we will have a game recap up on Thursday morning, recapping everything from this Creighton game, and hopefully it goes a lot better than it did when we played them the first time. Creighton, just a couple things about them on the beginning. Again, they didn't return any of their starters. They finished middle of the pack in the big season, uh, the Big East preseason rankings, not just just not too much expectations because there were so many transfers. There are so many freshmen and you can't expect even a good coach like Greg McDermott to get everybody to mesh so quickly. And in the first game of Big East play for the entire conference, Villanova traveled to Omaha and just got crushed. 79 to 59. That loss on the road for Nova came right after that Baylor game, second straight loss of 20-plus points for Nova for the first time in the Jay Wright era. It was a dark time. I'm sure you remember. I mean, this is – I do not need to be going back over it because people know exactly what I'm talking about and the despair that came right after that game. 33% shooting from Villanova from the floor, 17% from three. Creighton, on the other hand, Ryan Hawkins, that fifth-year transfer – actually, I think he's a sixth-year – Andrew Nemhard, Ryan Nam- Brent, Ryan Nemhard's brother. Actually, I might have been switched. I believe Andrew Nemhard is the one on Gonzaga, and Ryan Nemhard is on Creighton. Fourteen points. Just what an offensive explosion from Creighton and a meltdown on both sides of the court for Nova. But let, just taking it back a little bit here. Creighton has only played one game since they beat Villanova at home, and this just goes into the larger narrative of how really ravaged the Big East has been because of COVID issues. A lot of programs are dealing with a lot of postponements. So it was definitely not a busy two weeks that Pat and I missed being off the mic. Creighton beat Marquette. They only had one game because the Georgetown game they had got postponed because of COVID issues within the Georgetown program. But that game was pretty good. It was a double overtime win on the road at Marquette. Ryan Hawkins played 47 minutes in that double overtime game. In fact, three players on Creighton had more than 45 minutes. They eked it out. That's really the only thing I can say. It wasn't particularly pretty. And something that Pat mentioned when we talked about Creighton previewing them for the first time, they are not a good free throw shooting team. They they shot 60% from the free throw line. So yeah, Ryan Hawkins hit some clutch shots. Yeah. They were able to get it done in double overtime, but this game might've been tied up beforehand if they had just shot better from the free throw line. So talking about some keys, another thing that Creighton did really, really well against Villanova was rebound that they just crushed them in the rebounding battle. Yes. It's because they have Ryan Kalkbrenner who's seven, one, one of the best big men in the big East, but and after this game is when all those conversations started up about why Villanova acts so small. Yes, they're a small team, but they have a lot of physical guys and they weren't using it the way we thought they should. Since then, I think they've done a much better job of being physical down low. They did a good job of handling Yatna and they did a good job of handling Fremantle and Jack Nunji. Just the way everything came together so perfectly against Xavier, they need to switch that. 
against Creighton. Eric Dixon needs to step up and handle Ryan Kalkbrenner, and the guards need to do a better job of limiting Hawkins and Nemhard. But let's start from the beginning. I have three keys written down. Two of them are basically the same thing. The first is that there needs to be better ball movement from Villanova against Creighton. There were Villanova had four total assists in their first game against Creighton. The offense was so stagnant. And this is when, even when I was talking about, this was actually, I think, after the Creighton game when the too reliant on the three article came out because they were just chucking up shots seemingly like they were already in a hole even though at that point the game hadn't gotten away yet if you remember this was a two-point game early in the second half and Villanova just let it slip away because their shots weren't falling and yes there was a lid on the rim in that game but their shot selection wasn't perfect and part of the reason why they've won the last two games against really good opponents in Xavier and Seton Hall. And the reason I say that is because no slight to Creighton, but this is not one of the top tier teams of the big East at all this year. And that's why that loss on the road was so shocking. But anyways, I digress. The reason why Villanova was able to eke out really good wins over Xavier and Seton Hall is because they found different ways to score because they penetrated the paint more because they got Slater and Samuels going down low And when you can do that, again, the shots just seem to fall. And hopefully Gillespie, this 20-point game, unlocked something. Hopefully this good game from Moore unlocked something. They'll continue to drive. The bottom line is Colin Gillespie has to do a better job of facilitating the ball against Creighton. He needs to rack up those assists. And you can say the same thing for Arch. You can say the same thing for Moore. You can say the same thing for Daniels. Even Samuel sometimes picks up a couple assists a game. They just have to do a better job of moving that ball around so they don't get stuck in that stagnant five-out offense where they're just putting up shots, missing them, and all of a sudden they're down 20 and this game is completely out of hand and the defense can't keep up because that is what happened against Creighton the first time. Another thing that is extremely important, and I was excited to talk about these stats because if you just look at the stats against Creighton and how well Creighton really did play in that game. It was an absolute meltdown on Villanova's end. Absolute meltdown, but Creighton played really well. Ryan Hawkins, Ryan Nemhar, I'm just pulling up this box score now. In that game, they had really good numbers. Hawkins had 19 points, 6 for 14 from the floor. Alex O'Connell hit half of his threes, finished with 12 points. Ryan Nemhard, just to clarify, Andrew Nemhard is the brother at Gonzaga. Sorry about that. Nemhard had 14 points. Yes, he had four turnovers, but he got into a crazy groove down the stretch. And then some of their guys off the bench, they had a really strong bench game. Trey Alexander had 10 points. Androni Kashvili had eight points. Faisal had four points. They found a lot of ways to got to get it done, bottom line. And it all flowed through Ryan Hawkins and Ryan Nemhard. And we talked about Ryan Hawkins and how perfectly he fits into this program because he is a proven winner and a proven leader. And that's the type of personality that Greg McDermott McDermott needed to anchor this young team that is still doing pretty damn well for itself, honestly, at this point of the season with a marquee win over Villanova. So for Villanova, their guards have to play better against Ryan Hawkins and Ryan Nemhart. They have to be able to limit Androni Kashvili, who had some nasty shots, some nasty step backs in Omaha. And the bottom line here is that you might see some of the stats from Creighton in the paint against Nova and think, oh my God, they 
have to do a better job down low. They have to limit uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner and 7-1 and force them to take shots. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's okay for Creighton to win the battle in the paint because they are objectively the bigger team and they might objectively be the stronger team in the paint. But what Villanova has to do is limit them on shooting. Creighton shot 39% from three against Villanova. That's 8% better than their season average. Eight points higher than their season average, I should say. Their season average is 31%. They shot 39% from three against Villanova. So it's one thing for Villanova to just <laughs> leave everybody on Kalkbrenner down low, completely eliminate Kalkbrenner and force the shooters to shake, take shots. In fact, I went into the first game thinking that should be the game plan because their shooters just weren't good. And against Villanova, all of them were. So I do think there will be a shift because you can't leave Ryan Nemhard open now. You can't leave Hawkins open now, as we learned. But still, don't be alarmed if Creighton has the sizable advantage in paint points. That's what we should want. The guards just have to do a better job of limiting the shots or contesting the shots that Creighton takes because that's why Villanova lost that game because their defense couldn't keep up because all of their shooters were hot. And sometimes that happened. You can attribute this to Creighton had literally maybe the best game that they will play all season long. And it just so happened to be against Villanova. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty of it, eliminate Kalkbrenner or not even let Kalkbrenner go off, make sure they don't get any shots up because Villanova can win that three point battle on almost every single given night. Yes, Brendan Riley will stick to it. They still have not had a wowing three-point performance, but I think that can come against Craig, and especially if they get off to a hot start, and that is my third point. You saw what getting off to a hot start can do against a team like Seton Hall. It just sets this team up in such a better foundation so they don't have to scramble behind the stretch. They don't have to play from behind. You can let Colin Gillespie sit on the bench for three minutes and not feel like you're going to be down 10 when he comes back in. Don't let the offense get stagnant. Start early, hit some shots early, and continue to penetrate. Because again, when they become two or three-dimensional, when they don't rely on the three too heavily, they push to, they drive to the basket. All, all five of their guys have the capability to drive to the basket. That is what makes this Villanova team have such a high ceiling and a floor. And that's when we're going to see Villanova continue to to rank up in the Kempom rankings and in the AP poll because slowly but surely it's happening. Slowly, surely. Of course, this Creighton, a win at Creighton, uh, excuse me, a win against Creighton at home isn't going to be a needle mover for this team by any means, but it would be a, a nice revenge game, of course, because Creighton just flat out embarrassed Villanova at home in Omaha, Nebraska on that Friday night, like we all remember. So I expect it. I mean, I, I predicted it. I expect it to be over a 10 point game. I think Villanova has the potential to put this one away relatively early. Every game in the big East is going to be a battle, but now at least they have some tape. They know what they need to do. Hopefully they stick to those three keys, which is keeping the offense moving, playing better defense against their guards and limiting Hawkins and Nemhart specifically. And hopefully they can do that. So <clears throat> that will wrap up the Creighton recap. Forgive me. My throat is a little bit sore. Of course, recovering from sickness, as I'm sure a lot of you are. But as always, I will wrap up with a whip around the Big East. And like I mentioned at the beginning, 
Pat and I were off for a long time, but really not that many games happened because of all the COVID shortages. And of course, it always is a little slower around the holiday season anyway. But there were some notable games, and a lot of them honestly involved the Providence Friars. Hopefully, as you're listening, you know that I have a big family tie to Providence. My brother goes there now. Both my parents graduated there. They are just ecstatic, and they had that week where Providence was ahead of Villanova in the AP poll, so that was big. My mom wanted me to frame it for her for Christmas. That did not happen, obviously. But Seton Hall did have a big five-point win at home. Against Seton Hall, of course, Seton Hall was missing. Iko Iagu and Tyree Samuel, but Noah Horkler had a really good game, 17 points, 13 rebounds. Watson is just as good as he was at the beginning of the year. They've got Al Durham. They've got A.J. Reeves, who's really hitting his form. Finally, it seems like Providence is consistent enough to compete throughout the Big East Conference season. And I was not in a position to say that early this year because Providence has always shown flashes in the past but they haven't strung together four or five really quality wins. And I will tell you, and you can look this up on Twitter. I believe it was John Fanta who tweeted it. There was one team in the country that has five quad one wins one. And that team is the Providence Friars. Cannot wait to play them later this season. Other than that, Butler had a win over DePaul. I mean, if you go through and look at these scores, almost all of them, have been postponed. I did mention that double overtime win that Creighton had over Marquette. Providence beat DePaul again, but all these big schools, the Yukons, the Georgetowns, um, Butler has had a lot of games postponed. Unfortunately, we're just in the thick of it here. Again, as I mentioned, like, like the whole world with the NHL postponing, and hopefully in the next month or so, we can get past this and see some of these games rescheduled. Also, that rule was changed these games now will no longer go as losses for conference schedule. They will be rescheduled and played hopefully when all these teams are, are full strength. So that is just a a quick recap of the big East this week. We've got some really fun games. Of course, you've got Providence Marquette. You've got Seton hall Butler. I mean, this is when it really gets into it. St. John's is back in action on Friday and Saturday. You've got some big games Saturday, St. John's Providence, Another that's a game at noon, another game at noon, UConn Seton Hall. That actually might be a really good measuring stick game. Hopefully UConn has all their guys back and then hopefully Seton Hall's big guys are back. But bottom line, you take these games with a grain of salt because they're missing players. But in the Big East, a win is a win. And you never know what's going to happen the next time you face them. So that'll do it for this episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening to me solo. We miss Pat on this one. Hopefully he will be back healthy on Thursday with a Creighton recap after Creighton visits the Finn on Wednesday night. And then, of course, Villanova visits DePaul on Saturday. That will be the first real test of DePaul. Of course, we'll get into a full preview of DePaul on Thursday. They're 0-2 in the conference. They have a loss to Providence, which is in no way a bad win, but finally we get to see what DePaul is really like because Pat is almost saying that they're legit and I'm not sure he'll be able to say that if Villanova beats them pretty badly on Saturday but that'll do it for the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops we will be back on Thursday with that Creighton recap and a DePaul preview 
Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We will continue to read out some reviews that we get on Thursday with our mailbag episode as well. And also make sure to follow Pat and I on Twitter and the show at S-O-N-N-Pod on Twitter. Make sure to check out VUHoops.com where you'll find some Creighton previews. You'll find Creighton recaps after the game. A ton of great content on there. Follow VUHoops on Instagram as well. And Nova Nation, thank you for listening. We'll be back on Thursday. And that's a wrap.